Well, we're going to pick back up in 2 Corinthians chapter um, 8. I'm going to go ahead and grab one of those microphones to keep up in the front with me. Uh, And we're going to finish up chapter 8, kind of the tail end of chapter 8, and then get into chapter 9, and maybe, being a bit bit ambitious, get into chapter 10 even, um, because chapter 9 is going to continue our conversation or our discussion on the collection. And so... um, If we remember what we discussed last week relative to the collection, um, the thought that everything that we have, uh, obviously physically as well as spiritually, comes from God and is His. We're just good, we're supposed to be good stewards of it. Um, And so our willingness to, to give. Uh, shows us to be good stewards. And we looked at the example of Christ who came and although he was rich, uh, became poor for us. Um, We talked about the example of the Macedonians who gave in their, uh, even in their um, poverty, they gave graciously to help out the church in Judea. Uh, And so we also kind of rounded out our conversation last week with talking about giving according to your ability. Uh, It's not to give necessarily beyond your ability, but to give in accordance with your ability um, and how we weren't giving to burden ourselves so that someone would have excess, but to give according to the way we've been blessed so that we can help those who are in need. And that's the example that's given to us in in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The the church in Judea, as we said, uh, by all accounts, were, were... in all likelihood, suffering through a famine. Uh, They were in need. They weren't able to provide food for themselves. It wasn't something, a neglect on their part. It was just something that they faced. And and in that, it provided an opportunity for the Corinthians, uh, but also for the Macedonians to help out in their time of need. And so a great example for us. And so we're going to pick up uh, in chapter 8 and verse 16. And so what I'd like to do is read verses 16 through the end of the chapter. Uh, But before I do that, I had a question that maybe some of others might have had as I've gone through this. Had a question about what version I'm reading from. So it's the New American Standard, but it's an old New American Standard. So um, I found out as I do more preparation on the computer um, that I'll type in something on my slides or in my notes and I'll go to read it out of my Bible and go, well, that doesn't match up at all. So there's at least three different versions of the New American Standard. And I'm not going to give you the dates, but I think there's one that was done in the 80s and one that was done in the 90s and then one maybe even more recently than that. This is probably one of the 80s versions. This is a pretty old Bible that I've got. So if it differs a little bit from your New American Standard, that's why. Um, It is a New American Standard, though, uh, just an old one. and Maybe I'm dating myself a little bit on that. But anyway, I thought some others might have the same question. So let's pick up in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians in verse 16. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on you on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. We have sent along with him the brother whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread through all of the churches. And not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel 
which with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness, taking precautions that no one should discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you as for our brethren. They are messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. So we continue on with the conversation about giving um, and wrapping up, really talking about the administration of the collection, uh, the actual, I guess, practicality or the practical way that Paul is going about setting up the collection um, of these, these funds that the Corinthians will be giving to help out the church in Judea. <clears throat> and so I think the first thing it gives us a pattern, a pattern of what God has approved for us to do from a collection, as well as we'll go on in, in the next chapter talking about how that can be transmitted to those in need. Um, there's no example. This doesn't give us the example of sending funds to a central office to be distributed out to congregations in need. There's no example of, of a church receiving funds from another church and then sending on to another church. Um, there's no example of a sponsoring church. Um, it's all individual Christians giving and sending to a church in need. The church can distribute to the saints in need, but that's the pattern that's been given to us. Uh, and so I think we need to be very careful and use these examples as foundation for all that we do, as we do with all of the Word of God. But uh, relative to this, there's a, a lot in the world um, and um, even a lot of our brethren who diverge from this, who separate themselves and go down a different path. We don't have a pattern for a path other than what's been given to us, where individual uh, Christians, collection is made among them and provided to a church in need to support those Christians at that church, not another church, not another work. That's the pattern that's given to us. And so um, I think it's important for us to look at this and, and really understand what it means and think about how we're applying it as a church, but as an individual also. Um, so um, continuing on, Titus is, he speaks to in verses six and, 16 and 17 about Titus's care for the Corinthians. He went of his own accord. Uh, I think about, you know, the here am I, send me uh, passages. And I think that's the attitude that Titus had is, uh, I want to go back and work with the Corinthians again. I, and, and that's kind of the reading in between the lines, what the feeling that I get. And so, again, a great example for us. He's gone and done work, but he's continuing to look for opportunities to serve God, to serve the church. And, uh, again, a great example for us. Goes on in verses 18 and 19, talking about Titus being accompanied by chosen men, um, in all likelihood chosen by the church themselves. Uh, so, and again, I think this is a great example for us um, around a pattern. And, and again, I think this is really Paul's wisdom more than it is something that has to be done. But 
Paul is working to ensure that there's not any question or doubt about how this money is being used and how this money is being distributed to those saints in need. And again, I think we got to think about it in context. You think about what Paul has been facing from these false teachers, and I think that's probably part of the reason, in addition to just making sure that in all ways he's above board when it comes to dollars. Uh, we know the easiest way to get people um, fired up is to start talking about dollars and having doubt about how our dollars are used or um, whether it's inappropriately or appropriately. And so he's wanting to be completely above board, and that's something that we should strive to also. Um, if there's doubt, um, let's create a, a scenario. Let's put people in place where we can remove that doubt uh, so that that's not something that's causing division. Um, and, and again, I think this goes back to, I believe it was Bill that made some, some comments last week or maybe it was even the week before last. I think Paul is striving to ensure that there's that unity between the church universal, the church, not just in Corinth, but the church in Judea, Jews, Gentiles. And he's putting these things in place to make sure that there's not any confusion or concern about how these dollars are used. So trying to, to work on that bond between the church, the Jewish church in Judea, and the, the Gentile church in, in Corinth, and making sure that's eliminated. Um, and so... Um, Again, thinking about that, Romans 1, uh, verse 16, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Again, trying to pull that through, further showing that gospel appeal to all. The money that's provided by the Gentiles are supporting the Jews and, and vice versa as the need, the need comes up. Um, so continuing on, <clears throat> talking about verses 20, let's read again verse 20. Um, taking precautions that no one should discredit us in the administration of this generous gift. thought it was interesting, the beginning of this verse, as I was doing some preparation, taking precautions, as my version reads, some might read um, avoiding this uh, so that no one should discredit us in our administration. Not a Greek expert, but I thought it was interesting that, that um, several of the books that I read <clears throat> referenced this avoiding or taking precautions as a nautical term. Uh, it's the idea of lowering the sails so that you avoid um, a bad windstorm. Uh, and again, I think it um, was interesting to me because it's obviously something a prudent sailing captain would do. Um, and it's something that's prudent for us to do in this situation is taking precautions so that those winds that somebody might be blowing at us, the, Jude the Judaizing teachers might look for this as an opportunity uh, to create a storm. Well, Paul is lowering the sails and going, okay, I'm eliminating this problem. Uh, and so again, I think it's really interesting um, kind of that language that's used here um, Paul wanted to sure, ensure, as we've said, that there was no question about how the money was used or how the money was distributed. Uh, and again, possibly going back to some of those accusations that were leveled against him. Um, <clears throat> and I, I thought about Proverbs uh, 3 and verse 4, um, you know, talking about so that you will find favor and good reputation in the sight of God and men. And so obviously we want to first and foremost be right in the sight of God, work to, to ensure that we're holding to his word, but the other side of it is ensure our reputation isn't affected, um, even though it might be false accusations, 
work to make sure our reputation is, is upheld and is above board, to use one of the terms I'd used earlier. Uh, continues on uh, in wrapping up this chapter and talks about Titus again, and he's known for his diligence, Paul's fellow worker. Uh, and, and Paul goes on to encourage them and say, openly before the churches, show them proof of your love and, your reason f- and, and our reason for boasting about you. So again, encouraging them to fulfill that responsibility that was, that was given to them in 1 Corinthians around giving appropriately. Um, but then also fulfilling that commitment that they had made. They had already committed to this. He's not telling them they, to do something that they hadn't already committed to. So asking them, encouraging them, admonishing them to fulfill what they had already committed to and, and fulfill that boasting that he had made about them. So I'm going to pause here before we continue on in chapter 9 and see if we have comments or questions or anything that I missed in chapter 9 that needs to be talked about. Okay. So, uh, I'm going to continue on. I messed up my slide. It's supposed to be 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. No, actually, that's right, verses 9. I I just misspoke. Are there questions about chapter 8 before I continue on in chapter 9? So, I'm looking down at my notes and saying the wrong thing. So I'll pause again. Questions about eight. If you got questions about nine, you can make them, have them too, but let's hold those till we start getting into the section. Okay. Thank you. Sorry. Um, so let's transition into chapter nine. Um, and their willingness to give uh, is continued in the, the thought that we just wrapped up. Um, I think back to... Acts chapter 18 and verse 8 and following, Paul had been with them and lived with them for an extended period of time, spent time working with that church, and so he knew them. He knew of their willingness to, to give, and he goes on to, to speak to that. And so why don't we go ahead and read as we've been doing chapter 9, and then we can start talking about it, um, so that read it so that we have the context of all the comments um, that are made. So chapter 9 in 2 Corinthians, um, for it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry to the saints, for I know your readiness for, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I sent the brethren that our boasting about you may not be empty in this case, that as I was saying, you may be prepared, lest any lest any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, should be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they should go on ahead of you and arrange beforehand your previous promise, bountiful, previously promised bountiful gift, that the same may be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly. He who has sown bountifully shall reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness abides forever." 
Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread to the, for food will supply and multiply your seed for sorrow, for, for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgiving to God. Because of the proof given by the ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so, as I said, we're, we're continuing on with uh, the discussion around giving and specifically the direction that Paul is giving the church at Corinth uh, around being generous. As I said, he had lived among them, so he knows their generosity. He knows what they're capable of, and he, know, he knows these individuals personally. Um, you think back to what I just got through saying, they had already committed to this generous act, and so he's encouraging them to continue that. Uh, when we look at this, uh, he talks about in, in verse 2, uh, I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year. So Achaia is a, a region that Corinth is in. So I think here Achaia equals Corinth for our purposes. Um, but Paul felt the need to, to send this message. Um, he felt the need for, prob for a number of reasons, but we'll speak about a, a few and continue kind of our conversation around this with the Corinthians. Um, wanted to make sure his boasting to the Macedonians uh, around their, their faithfulness, their generosity, wasn't in vain. Um, he wanted to confirm, uh, wanted them to confirm by their deeds uh, what he had boasted to the Macedonians about. Uh, we can look back, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he had already instructed them around collection, uh, the need to, to lay by in store so that when he came, there wouldn't be a need for a collection. Um, and, and we've already talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, um, that gift um, administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show their readiness. And so he's encouraging them to make sure that that gift is ready and waiting when they come. And then finally, making sure that it's ready so that if the Macedonians came with him, someone from the church in Macedonia came, they wouldn't find him unprepared um, so that their gift was prepared. And I think in this case, it's completely reasonable for Paul to call call, using one of our terms, send a letter for them to prepare uh, so that when they come, it's ready. He didn't want them struggling to kind of gather the money at the last minute. He didn't want them um, being unprepared when someone arrived asking for, for the funds that they had already committed. I think also he wanted to make sure that they weren't grudging in their giving. Uh, they weren't grudging, okay, we've got to do it. Let's, let's work to get this pulled together. Um, he wanted to ensure that, as we're going to look at later on in these verses, that, that um, they're joyous in their giving. Uh, they're giving for the right reasons. Um, he didn't want to seem it was seem like it was they were giving because they were being forced to, because he was coming with a rod. We'll look at later on. 
he wanted to encourage that that liberal giving, that that giving uh, according to how they've been blessed. Um, so I'm going to pause there for a second and see if there's any additional comments about these first five verses, because uh, I wanted to spend a little bit more time in the, I guess, the central part of these of this chapter, talking about sowing and reaping a little bit. So Chris. Uh, I think it's interesting, I mean, the, you've hit all the, the main points that the attitude in giving and the reasoning for our giving is, you know, everything comes from God anyway, so why don't we use what he's entrusted to us to in the right way? But the logistics of it is also interesting to me. Um, in 1 Corinthians 16, um, verse 3, And when I come, whomever you approve... By your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. uh, but if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Um, in verse 3, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear. So the, I guess I always thought of this as uh, someone from among their congregation would be actually doing it. Yep. But it may not be. It may be somebody who, you know, they're like, hey, how about you send this person who we trust to come get our funds and then uh, in Second um, Corinthians nine, it, it's that they should expect the Macedonians to come and, and pick up some money. Yeah. So there's interesting. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think back to you know some of our comments around Titus. Maybe it's Titus that they send. They go, okay, Paul, you can go too. We want Titus um, again. That confidence that that Paul referred to in the preceding chapter. So again, I think it's interesting. Again, practically how you go about accomplishing it. There's some definite guidelines on you can and can't do this from this example, but a lot of it's left up to our wisdom on on how we're most comfortable and how we think the most efficient way to to transmit that money. Maybe it's someone from within in our number. Maybe it's someone from the church that you feel most comfortable them coming directly. So we're given a lot of leeway, um, you know, again, within those guidelines. So great point. In the King James, there's a very interesting phrase that I think we should all here in this congregation and every congregation should ask ourselves. It says, uh, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Mm -hmm. They had a zeal, and that includes uh, work and benevolence and all the things that a congregation uh, is supposed to do as worthy servants of God. In doing that, uh, they provoked many. And I think we all need to ask ourselves that question uh, occasionally, both as a congregation and as an individual, how strong is our zeal? Uh, is our worship, is our labor in the Lord to spread the gospel? Uh, is there a zeal in that uh, that we can provoke those that would be counted maybe worthless in our mind or uh, those who would not hear the gospel? Yeah, and and we'll speak to it a little bit at the end. But I think about verse thirteen. Um, they will glorify God for your obedience, your confession, your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your liberality. And so, there through your zeal, through your giving, through your generosity, you're encouraging others. Uh, and, and you know, it'll go on in in that last verse talking about um, um, how how much that has 
encourage those in other congregations. And so I think we, we don't need to minimize how we're living and how our, our zeal, our passion for the Lord can impact others, you know? Yeah. Other side of the world, you, you hear about a good work that's being done and you're like, okay, let me get involved with that too. And so, and it's vice versa. As we hear about other, other Christians doing things, it should encourage us uh, to your point. It's contagious. Uh, and I think that's, that's the intent here. Bill, did you have a... Yeah, I mean, you, you pretty much hit it you know, right there at the end. Is it's I think it's interesting and, and powerful to know about what other local churches are doing. I mean, there's there's a lot to say in the New Testament about local church, you know, autonomy when it comes to leadership and its impact on that community. But here you see examples of local churches knowing about what other local churches are doing and being encouraged by that. So I think just building off of Bruce's point. Is our zeal impacting? Do other people know about the good work that this church does? And at the same time, you know, as you build each other up, I think that's that's why he's so, you know, encouraging them. You know, don't let me down here. You know, there's there's a commitment you've made, and if I've talked you up and I praised you to the Macedonians, and they come to you and you don't have money ready to help those in Jerusalem, like that's going to be. It's going to be shameful is what it's going to be. So be prepared. I think the only thing that I'd add to that is kind of backing up from a a personal standpoint. It's easy for us to live in our phones and kind of live in our own little world. I think it's important for us to, to, to get to know the other brethren beyond these six walls or however many walls it is. Um, get to know the, the brothers, sisters, and other congregations and, and understand what they're doing because it does encourage us as we're talking to others. And um, so it's, I think in our society today, it's something that we have to be purposeful about. We have to make that choice. Do we go out and seek other Christians? Do we go out and find others beyond these six walls? Um, again, not to say that we shouldn't uh, work with he- within us. I think that's obvious. But I think that unless we're being purposeful and seeking those opportunities to get to know the brethren in our society today, we might not know what's going on in a congregation across town. Um, and I think it's important for us to know, not to be nosy, but from an encouragement standpoint to them and to, to us. Um, I was just going to say, you know, we have brothers and sisters overseas and we have brothers and sisters in this country that we can support. And you don't only do it financially, but you do it. And I just simply ask questions. I say, I say, how are they doing? I say, how, how are they? um, Are they still faithful? Are they still, still worshiping good? Are they, are they growing in number, you know? I want to know that stuff because I want to help them if they're not 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 doing that way because I would hope they would want to help me if something happened. So, I mean, simple questions like that, that's not being nosy, that's just being concerned. Yeah. We and just have to we kind of have to take the the step. We have to to go and do. Uh it's easy to again using a kind of a live in our phone, live in our own little world. Um and so we have to take those steps. Tolly. I don't know. I just was thinking, it appears that he gave them the saints time to save up mm-hmm. for a particular, for this particular need and purpose. Um, and I guess you haven't gotten to, you know, verse 
seven, but they no. gave as they had made up in their mind. Mm -hmm. So they had made up, you know, a purposeful mm -hmm. amount that they wanted to give. And so they wouldn't use it on anything else. And they had set that aside. And he had given them time and said, you know, here, when mm -hmm. we come, you're going to give what you had purpose to give for these saints. Yeah. And we don't want to be, you know, we don't want to look bad yeah. until Macedonia. So it seems like, like they had time too. Oh, yeah to save up and give give of their means. And I think that's, again, the exact purpose of this whole section is you committed to it, and I know you're good, you're going to do it because I know your generosity, and Paul knows them intimately. Now, you know, take this time to get it pulled together. Um, you know, it's, as with all of us, we might have the best of intentions, but then it's like, oh, the moment's here. Let me, let me get, well, in our time now, we can run to the bank and pull money or have money readily available. I can, I can Venmo you money like that. Um, maybe not so much in this time. You know, you, you might have had to, to do some things to prepare this. And so they've purposed in their heart. They've purposed in their mind. Now it's just a matter of Paul encouraging them to do it. So carry back in the back. But isn't that the reason Paul tells them in the first letter, do it every week so that no yep. uh, uh, collections be made when I come? Yep. There's going to be a day of reckoning, yep. so yep. prepare for it. And the way you do for, prepare is you collect, you put aside a little bit every week. Yep. Yeah, that way, again, you think about, and I think it's a fantastic point, you think about the need, so let's use ourselves as an example. If suddenly there's a famine in Middle Tennessee and we can't provide food for ourselves, 150, 200 people, that's not a small amount of money that needs to be, be pulled together. So to expect them to be able to pull it together on short notice is unrealistic. Again, it's something that needs to be, you know, put aside from, um, on a, a weekly basis. Again, the example that's given to us today that we should be doing is laying in laid by in store as we've been prospered each week. And so I think, Carrie, your, your, your point is spot on. Uh, Paul is just encouraging them to fulfill those commandments that had been given to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 uh, and to ensure that they are meeting that requirement that's been given to them, especially in light of this need that's, that's been, been presented to them. So very good point. Anything else? Okay. So let's continue on in, in verse 6 um, in chapter 9. Now that this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I want to pause just for a second and talk about this, this idea of sowing and reaping. Uh, he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Uh, so we aren't just giving money away to reap the benefits of it. Um, this is not um, the health and wealth gospel. So if you give this amount of money, you're going to get more than that in return. Are we going to get more than that in return? Yes. But he's not talking about physical wealth. He's talking about spiritual wealth that we will, we will get in return by fulfilling the requirements that God has given us, by staying faithful and doing what we're supposed to, to do. I thought about several passages. Let's turn over to Mark chapter 10. Um, Christ speaking. Um, 
Mark 10, I think we'll start in verse 29 maybe. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he shall receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. So again, is Christ saying here, if you, if you give up all of this for me, then you're going to get houses and farms and no, he's talking about the, the spiritual benefits that are accompanied by faithfulness. You think about the brothers and sisters. Are we going to get more brothers and sisters if we are, are, are faithful to him? Yes, we are. We're all brothers and sisters to each other. Um, but more importantly, it's that eternal life um, that, that comes with the faithfulness. Um, I think when we think about the, the health and wealth um, idea that some in the world profess, you think about Galatians 6 uh, in verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. So again, I think this, this is not necessarily talking about um, the, the sowing of dollars and cents, but how you're obeying and, and being obedient uh, as far as your, your work for the, the, the Lord. But I think for our purposes, if, we sow, if we're thinking about our return, if we're thinking about, okay, if I give X amount, I'm going to get this in return from a physical standpoint, I think that's an example of sowing to the flesh. Uh, and we're going to get our benefit, um, as is said in Galatians 6. So, um, also, I think here, Paul isn't talking about the, the quantity that someone's giving. So if you sow bountifully, um, you'll reap bountifully. If you sow a lot, then you're going to reap a lot. I think it's talking more about the quality of the gift. Is your heart right? Is your attitude right? Uh, have it, have it, has it been purposed in your heart to give as you should? Are you given for the right reasons, for the love of God, for the love of Christ, um, for the work of the church? And with that knowledge, as we've said before, that all that we have comes from God. Um, and, and with all that in mind, I think all of that, if we are giving for the right reason, it's going to lead to what we read about in verse 7. Uh, someone who's purposed in their heart, who's not giving grudgingly or under compulsion, but a cheerful giver. If we're thinking about all of those things, then we will realize that um, being able to give back to the Lord is, is, a, is a fantastic thing and a joyous thing and something that we should have happiness around. Lost my clicker. Uh, so as we've said, God loves that cheerful giver. Uh, the Lord, the love of the Lord is what should be motivating us. Um, and I think in verse 8, uh, he talks about uh, God making the grace abound. And so here, again, it's not talking about an increase in, in wealth, um, but I think he is speaking about as we give, God's going to provide additional abilities for us to do more good. Uh, and that might be in the, the form of dollars and cents, yes. Uh, but I think more importantly, it's talking about how, as we have that heart, uh, a giving heart, the right heart, love of God and love of Christ, then it's going to allow us to do more work for his kingdom. 
Uh, and in all things, God is, it says here, God is sufficient. Verse 8, uh, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may, be a, you may have an abundance for every good deed. And so that abundance, that sufficiency comes from God, not from us. Um, it's, it's, I think, how the Macedonians were able to give how we looked at the widow's might, that, that um, um, Christ's account. How were they able to give in their poverty? Well, they had trust. They had faith. They knew God was going to take care of them. Um, they trusted and had faith that they'd be provided for. So they knew even in giving in poverty, they would be taken care of. Um, so we should, as we're thinking about how we're blessed, we shouldn't be thinking about self. We should be thinking about how we can use it to help others. Um, I think the other, the other verse, uh, just briefly, um, and we won't turn over to it for time's sake, but Ephesians 4, verse 28, I thought about, um, you know, there's a, in our society today, there's this thought of working hard and saving up and retiring early and getting out of the rat race. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you shouldn't save up and, and prepare yourself. But in Ephesians 4, verse 28, uh, we read, he must labor producing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with the ones who has need. So it's not just about me saving up for me and getting out of the rat race. It's about me, if I have the ability to work, working so that I can provide for my family, yes. But more importantly to our purposes here, so that I can help someone else out. So yes, don't get me wrong, I'd love to pull the cord and, and get out of the rat race right now. But part of the reason we need to, if we're able to, continue working is so that we can help others. And again, all of these blessings come from God. They're not mine, they're his. And so how are we good stewards of our money? How are we good stewards of our time and our ability to work? Are we working hard so that we can help others? Are we working hard for self? So we talked about briefly earlier the the effects of this these gifts um and in this we see in verses uh, nine and following or in verse nine a quotation uh from psalm 112 um and in one psalm 112 we see talking about the individual fearing the lord and then um, giving from the wealth and riches that have been provided for him are for them. And, and it goes on to quote in verse uh, 9 here of, of Psalm chapter 112, verse 9, he who scatters abroad gave to the poor and his righteousness abides forever, talking about God. Uh, so through this supplying to the needs of the saints, um, and, and it goes on here in verse 10, he, now he, that is God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for growing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So again, God provides all of these things. Um, he provides seed for the harvest. Um, and again, not promoting that health and wealth gospel, but he provides all that we need to increase the yield in his kingdom. Um, God is enabling, in verse 11, their generosity. Uh, he blessed them with these things, and um, they're able to help this congregation in Judea because of that. And so, again, reflecting on ourselves, how are we using how we're blessed? Are we using it to help those around us? Are we using it to help those around the world who are in need, uh, Christians that are in need? And so, again, I think it's important for us to think about this um, 
from an individual personal standpoint? How are we using, because we are blessed, blessed far beyond most everyone else in this world. Uh, and so how are we using that? Um, and then um, verses 12 through 15, again, back to some of the comments that Bruce made earlier. Uh, through this act of service, ministry of service is not fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgiving to God. So through this service, it brings glory to God. It brings praise to God because these individuals are being relieved of some of the physical burdens. Uh, and so through this, others will glorify God. Um, ultimate, and I think that's the ultimate goal of our giving, is praise of God by others, but then also praise of God by ourselves um, for the blessings and the ability to give and to help others. Um, and, and then in verse 13, um, ministry will glorify God for your obedience and your confession of the gospel. So not only their generous gift, but their confession of the gospel. And so that prayer and longing, it ends up, I'm behind on my slide, but I wanted to go ahead and scoot through this so that we can pick up in chapter 10. But that prayer and longing for the, the church at Corinth is spoken of here um, in um, verse 14. Again, that interconnection between these two congregations. So thank you for your time. <laughs>